I think it was only actually when we left London that I really started to think, what did I want from my life? And what did I want creatively from my own career? And that was a big changing point. That was a massive crossroads for us because it was the first time I'd ever really thought about that seriously, is can I make money doing something I enjoy? And will it last for the rest of my life? Hi and welcome to another episode of Video Talks where we talk to creators, commissioners and everyone in between about the business of video. My name's Andy Greenhouse and I'm your host for the series of interviews on this podcast. So the Video Talks podcast is for anyone who is getting started in video, anyone who is a creator or a filmmaker or an animator who is looking to gain some extra tips from other experts. And it's also for business owners and marketers who are trying to use video in a more effective way. If you'd like to connect, uh, you can get me on Instagram at Video Talks Podcast or Andy.Greenhouse. And all of the show notes that we have for every episode are over on videotalks.co. Now, if you're here for the first time, please hit subscribe and we can keep the episodes coming into your feed. We can keep you updated with all the value that we get from these interviews. And if you're a creator and you want to shout out about a project that you're launching or that you're working on, then just DM me at Video Talks Podcast and we can sort that out. Okay, let's get into today's episode, which is an interview with Tom Middleton, who is a filmmaker, a cinematographer. Um, he's a drone ninja. He's amazing at all of those things. Uh, he runs uh, a company called SMN Film with his wife, Mish, in Shropshire in the UK. And basically, they are surrounded by beautiful hills and beautiful sunrises and sunsets, which you may have seen on LinkedIn. So in this interview, we dig into how you can build a career around your lifestyle and complement your lifestyle. There are tips on smartphone shooting for beginners, how LinkedIn is a great platform for showing off your personality and connecting with people. And what it takes, of course, to be a better drone filmmaker. So Tom and Misha are actually launching a drone course just after this podcast is live. So the links for that will be on the show notes, which will be videotalks.co forward slash 12. And there'll be a link to their drone course via videotalks.co forward slash drones. So there's only one more thing to say, which is um, there is a little bit of traffic noise because um, they were recording in their garden. Um, we did this video via Skype. So there is a little bit of traffic noise and possibly a train. So just bear that in mind. Okay, well, let's get into the interview. Um, it's time to say run VT. I'm super happy to introduce my guest today, Tom Middleton. Tom is a director, cinematographer, drone filming specialist and co-founder of SMN Film, a video production and video marketing agency. He's also one of the BBC's go-to drone cinematographers. Tom runs the business with his wife, Mish, also a filmmaker, specializing in creating beautiful cinematic films that evoke an emotional response in audiences worldwide. 
Over the years, Tom has run film events, lectured in creative media production and freelanced as a DOP, director and producer. We met in around 2004 when I was running my first film events at the 100 Club in London and he was running Bite Size Cinema. Uh, we've stayed in touch over the years and I've always respected his approach to filmmaking and business. Uh, hey, Tom, so, so pleased to see you and thanks for joining me on this. Not a problem. Very welcome. Thank you very much for asking me to be a part of it. Uh, well, it's um, it's really exciting. I'm excited to talk about what uh, you've been up to and what you're going to be up to. So, um, yeah, so Tom, I've given our audience uh, a brief overview. Please, could you fill in the gaps and just tell us a little bit more about who you are, what you do and... Um, you know a bit about your background no of course yeah so it's interesting thinking back to when we met back when we were doing bite Size cinema and you were doing the film events in london because that was how long ago was that now 15 years ago or so i think it was quite a while back wasn't it and so yeah. um since then um we decided to leave london which was a big decision i think both professionally and personally because um we, were, we found out we were going to be parents for the first time and we decided that living in London was not the life we really wanted in terms of professionalism and that kind of family life. So we moved to Ireland for two years, lived on the southwest coast of Ireland and um, kind of dabbled in. I think living there gave us a, a huge boost in terms of thinking about what we wanted to our lives to be for that fulfillment purpose because as soon as you move out of London which I know a lot of people have done who I know who've suddenly realized that actually you know things change a lot and you become a lot more focused on your personal life than your business life and so we ended up doing lots of odds and odd sort of strange jobs here and there I was a camera operator on a wildlife touring boat for a few months and I did everything I was a surf life instructor and I was all sorts of things but then eventually we decided it wasn't really for us so we moved back to England intending to move back to London but stopped in Shropshire because Misha's parents live nearby so it was the stepping stone going back to London and then we decided that actually we didn't really want to go back to that kind of rat race mentality and working too much which I'd been so accustomed to growing up that I thought that was normal so we decided that actually we'd probably have a, a slightly more relaxed life if we stayed in Shropshire and at that point we decided to try and find uh, a, a more creative career path that would give us more satisfaction as a lifestyle career choice rather than actually being a nine-to-five job which is what I had been doing in London and so we at the time I was doing lots of lecturing for some universities and colleges around Shropshire and the West Midlands um, and then at the same time we also evolved into doing this business which we hadn't intended to do but it became born out of passion and I think that was a big choice for us in a big moment because it was something we loved doing and we got a lot of satisfaction from doing in terms of capturing footage. And this was also at the time of the um, mirrorless camera revolution and also the same time that a lot of the early drones started coming out. So we were playing with a lot of new toys and finding out that we could be really creative a lot easier than we had been in the past. And so we started doing promo shoots and corporate jobs and things that we were emotionally connected to in terms of that alignment, creative alignment with the brands. And that kind of built a built a company for us because we were we were doing jobs that we loved doing and it wasn't just a day job it wasn't kind of work that we had to do to pay the rent it was more choosing the jobs choosing the clients that we wanted to work with because we had an affiliation with their style their ethos and that meant that we had fulfillment from that work and so it became much more of a lifestyle career and it kind of evolved into the business that it is now and what the way it feels that it's not actually a, a job it's more of a, a lifestyle choice and it's something we love doing and we you know have had a lot of enjoyment from yeah um well it kind of comes across in your in your videos 
can you just take me through your morning routine when you're when you go out and film the amazing sunrises in your <laughs> local area you know take take me through exactly what you do in that scenario yeah it's been a it's been a constant effort not not the opposite of an effort it's been a constant passion of ours because every point we know there's going to be a good sunrise no matter what time of the year it is whether it's the middle of winter we know there's going to be a nice sunrise where it's a lot later in the day it could be eight half eight nine o'clock or in the summer, like very recently, when we've been doing shoots for the drone course, you're getting up at sort of four in the morning to capture a sunrise at half five, so you're getting into the right position. But to me, it's never a chore. It's never a having to get up because it's a, a you know it's a massive pain in the ass. It's more of a I know I'm going to get something amazing, so I get really excited about it. And that that process is what spurred on our entire business because it's more of an excitement and actually knowing you're going to capture something that's really magical. And I think that's a lot of the a lot of the filming we do with a drone is not necessarily um, for a corporate job or a commercial job. It's actually just, we're going out capturing stuff because we know it's a great location. We know it's going to be great sun in the right position. And then we have, we're building up a library of content that we know will be usable at some point for different purposes. And a lot of that has been translated into working with um, Getty Images. Now we're uploading stock for their website and stuff like that. So it's kind of building a library of work that is, as much about passion it is about kind of commercial gain brilliant amazing um so is obviously i can hear traffic in the background as a bit of context tom is sitting in his garden <laughs> um i imagine that you're opening the doors the birds are tweeting maybe there's an eagle um <laughs> you know over the over the shropshire downs or where whatever you, hills, yeah. wherever you are <laughs> and you open these doors and it's kind of like a disney-esque scene but clearly you're you are near a road there is a road there is a road which is the a49 which is kind of the backbone of of shropshire running from north to south but that's a few hundred feet that way but uh, we do we live in a a small village so we've got a local pub which we just had a quick pint in for the first time in however many months it is which is nice um but it's in every direction you go from our house in within 50 meters 100 meters you're in open fields and there's lots we're in the bottom of a valley so everywhere you walk is up a hill into somewhere that you can see this incredible view so it's very easy for us to just nip out and grab a quick sunrise or a sunset or we like we we have a a special spot that we like to go to with the kids at around sort of eight nine o'clock in the evening which we call sunset club which is just literally walking up the nearest hill and watching the sunset with the kids and that it's quite often that we find it's the nicest way to capture a little moment and remember a a time with our kids when they've been all throughout their ages from the ages of one up to now 12 and it's been a really nice sort of thing for us to do i think oh amazing that's incredible (laughs) well let's dig into um a bit more about your business uh so this is called video talks could you give us a an insight of how moving images work has worked for you and your business and maybe as a bit of context, I mean, you're a big LinkedIn user, right? So obviously video is talking on LinkedIn quite a lot for you. Uh, maybe you could could touch on, you know, how effective that's been as a, as a business kind of lead magnet. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess in the past, I'd say probably seven or eight years, it's been really interesting to see how a lot of businesses have adapted to more video perspective in terms of realizing that there's a lot more commercial gain to producing really good stylistic video content 
in the same way that TV has turned a lot like that. A lot of Netflix shows are now much more cinematic, a lot more emotional, a lot more kind of attractive for viewing audiences. And I think a lot of businesses now are realizing that it's the same with online content. So producing really good stylistic video is really good for businesses because it shows a lot of not just their ethos and their brand personality, but it shows how much they pay attention to every detail of their business. So for us, producing content for businesses, which is mostly used, I'd say, for online social media purposes or website use, it's it's been really interesting for us to work with businesses who understand the value in what good video looks like and how that can attract business for them. We need to talk to them over a long period of time, not just a short period of saying, here's a brand promo, here's your about our story, here's your film that's going to sit on your homepage. It's about thinking about how to produce a series of content that lasts a lot longer than just, you know, a website for a homepage. It's more like here's a six month series of content or a six month series of films that tells a story over a long period of time. And therefore audiences react a lot better to that information. We've always used social media as our blog, if you like, to showcase what we're doing more so than the website. So, and we've also found that LinkedIn has been the best way for us to communicate with audiences who resonate with our work because Facebook seems to have died a death recently. Instagram, we had a lot of good reactions from a few years ago. And then when Facebook took it over, it dived. So now we get virtually no traction on that at all. But with LinkedIn, you're speaking to individuals, not businesses. And it feels like there's a lot more uh, relationships building out of conversations from LinkedIn. And we've had lots of people who we've made good friends with and had good amounts of work with based on the reactions from posting on LinkedIn. And this is not just sort of saying, here's a project we did five years ago or two years ago or a week ago. It's more the kind of personal stories of the stuff that we've been doing to stay creative. So it's kind of showing your personality as well as showing your business acumen and showing your creative ability. It's kind of saying, here's here's the stuff that we do because we love it. And it's not just about kind of commercial gain. It's about showing personality. Yeah, no, it definitely comes across in your your films, um, that personal uh, approach and that connection um, I know that the the you've had several posts where you've had uh, an involvement with a is it a kind of hanging tent company? I use that in the, like the most basic. I know there's a good, they've got a good brand name. What is it? It's Tensile. Their name is Tensile, and they yeah they've they've been a manufacturer of um, elevated tents. So they're elevated off the ground. They're strapped around tree trunks, so you're completely off the ground. And they're amazing for sleeping in because you're, it's like a cross between a hammock and a trampoline in terms of that comfort. And we've known them for, uh, I mean, I've, I went to school with one of the brothers who founded the company. So we've known them for decades, but we've been working with them professionally for the last eight years, I think. And so we've produced all of their visual media in the UK, which is to do with either how to set up the tents or actually brand promotions and lifestyle content. But they get they get sent content from all over the world. But it's it's just it's a really easy way for us to kind of communicate a quick story with the kids, sort of taking a tent up to the woods nearby, slinging a tent up, and then having a bit of fun. And that was part of one of the stories we made over the summer, well during lockdown actually, which was what we called backyard adventures. So we took the boys up for a camp out overnight, filmed it, and then Tencel wanted to use that as a brand promo. So they they said it was great enough because we filmed the, almost the entire thing on a phone. And it was just quick and easy to do, but it was really good fun and the kids loved it and it worked really well for Tensile as well. Great. Have you got any tips for um, people who are, who have only got phones out there, who that maybe they want to do something for their business? And obviously, you know, if you've, you're obviously a master at cinematography, but, you know, any basic tips for somebody who, yeah, 
I think phones are they're an amazing tool because the, the image quality of them is absolutely fantastic. And there's a lot of apps now that you can get which you can manipulate the image a bit better than you can using the iPhone's native tools. So things like Filmic Pro, you can have 325 cropping. You can adjust the frame rates a bit better. You can adjust the, the shutter speed and the ISO in it with a bit more control in manual. Um, and also using things like phone gimbals makes such a huge difference because I know that iPhones now have a lot more image stabilization, but just having the ability to have a handle which you can control the settings on a phone means it's you have a lot more creative freedom to move the phone in a way you would without actually holding it in your hand. So, for instance, in the example of using the tents in the woods with the kids, you could start really low in the long grass and then kind of come up, rise out of the grass and follow the kids as you're walking, which is the kind of shot you wouldn't not really be able to do just holding the phone because you'd be all over the place stripping over grass and stuff true the few times i've shot with a phone uh the gimbals come in really handy (laughs) yeah lately the new iphones and just generally new phones they've got crazy stabilization It's 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 amazing if you even think back kind of five years i suppose so i wanted to go back a bit to you know your earliest influences and um you know just hear about what kind of got you into film and the creative process sure no that's that's a good story i think because i think to be perfectly honest when i was working in london for a few different production companies and running the cinema clubs we used to do the short film screenings i had i didn't have a lot of career aspirations at that point i think i was very much led by growing up in London, thinking I had to do something next and going through university, going through getting a job as a runner, going through a company and kind of, it just, it happened without thinking about it. And so I think it was only actually when we left London that I really started to think, what did I want from my life and what did I want creatively from my own career? And that was a big changing point. That was a massive crossroads for us because it was the first time I'd ever really thought about that seriously is can I make money doing something I enjoy and will it last for the rest of my life? It was only when we moved back to Shropshire that we began to think about actually rekindling, I think, a passion of mine, which was photography at the time. And so I uh, I bought a, a Nikon D90 camera with a nice nifty 50 lens, which makes everything look amazing. Um, but in those days, I think the Nikon D90s only had a 20 second capability of capturing video. So it was very short capturing moments. And at that point, we started to film stuff because we knew that the, the lens looked amazing and it made everything look really nice. So it was really kind of getting used to that manual settings of cameras and using it with video functions more than um photography and so we just we started by just filming our our lives taking the kids for a walk go and do something really quick and easy but then trying to make a story out of beginning middle and end and trying to think about how that evolves into something and this was in the day when it was it was quite early in the social media kind of craze that there wasn't a lot of video around on social media but we didn't think about using it for social media. It was more just for personal use. It was more just kind of as a memory for us to remember our kids when they were toddlers and then growing up. And that kind of evolved into our passion for filmmaking. And at the same time, we began to kind of absorb a lot more content that we became inspired by. So there was a, um, a filmmaker in Australia called Benjamin Dowie, who we came across his work because he had a Vimeo staff picks um, choice. And he is an Australian filmmaker who had started by making lots of surf films and skate films and kind of lifestyle content of him going out with his friends and jumping in the sea. And it was everything from sort of filming with phones and stuff like that, but also diving and using GoPros underwater. But it had a style to it that resonated with us a lot because it was it really embodied 
that kind of lifestyle ethos more than actually saying here's a commercial film it was just him and his friends and so i think we adapted that kind of ethos in our filmmaking trying to make films which weren't not were not actually meant for a purpose it was more just for us to sort of flex our creativity one of your signature styles is the is this obviously the emotional connection but this kind of feeling that you're connecting with nature so there are a lot of brands that you work with who who have a connection themselves with nature and maybe quite a kind of you know maybe a product which is quite craft led um there's quite a craft process involved in that with drones obviously there's there's been a there's been a huge surge in drone use over the last I don't know what would you say 10 years yeah or at least five or seven right yeah yeah yeah, definitely why do you think drone shots are so popular in you know for for brand films etc it does feel to me that the production value of a film can still be raised hugely by aerial shots done in the right way you know the psychology of it almost why does a drone shot work and what is it in the drone shot that does work yeah does that make sense yeah it kind of does because we've been we've been having to think about that a lot when we've been producing all the modules for the drone courses what makes it feel cinematic and why does drone footage feel more cinematic than having a gimbal shot or something you can do on the ground and i think that with all the trend of drones being a lot cheaper and easy to to buy these days it means that anyone can buy a drone and send it up and get a quick shot of something and they send to site they tend to send it as high as they can and get a look down on whatever the subject is but that doesn't really feel like a a good cinematic shot so we've always treated drones as if it was an extension to a gimbal but it's about i think it's about trying to tell a story throughout a single shot which i think for us we've always used a single shot process for drone work rather than having a montage of drone work so i very rarely post anything on social media that's a montage of of different drone shots it's always been one shot that has a beginning middle and end and it has a feel of narrative that actually makes you want to watch that shot and it tends to be more about revealing something in that process that is a surprise and that whether it's a sunrise or a sunset or following a subject or revealing a building or anything it doesn't matter what the subject is it's about trying to find a path with the drone that you would never be able to do with a normal camera and i think that's what we've always tried to do with drones so even if you're flying off the end of a pier into a lake and then you know rising up to find the sunrise it it feels like it's actually kind of a story do you know what i mean there's a beginning middle and end and that i think is a lot more interesting for viewers to watch and i think that's something which is not a huge amount of drone operators really understand and i think it's something we're trying to I don't want to say educate people because I don't want to sound like, you know, we're better than everyone else, but it's something we're trying to promote is that unique storytelling perspective of finding a a drone path or a flight path that actually has that sense of storytelling and you can do everything you need to in a single shot. And therefore it feels more like one of those shots where you have like a, you know, a Ridley Scott film where the the opening shot's 10 minutes long or something ridiculous. And it has that same mentality of watching it thinking, how on earth did they do that? How did that shot get done? interestingly you talk about drone shots revealing something and i think that's a really that's a really clever art to get right isn't it i think the you know the kind of over the hill um i'm sure i could choose a maybe a more poetic (laughs) phrase but 
the over the hill shot or at the end of the cliff shot or yeah. whatever you know so you don't quite know what's coming i think that's that's very true so digging into your drone course i guess you've become through experience um a bit of a, a drone expert um and probably like as you say you take you take the drones out um for fun with your kids over the course of like the last 10 years or whatever or however long drones have been around yeah um what what does your course involve and you know what how can it help people um our course is aimed at the kind of lower end of the experience market so it's people who've bought something like a mavic pro or a mavic air or something that which they've been a slight bit more easy to buy and it's aimed at trying to trying to educate them on those cinematic shots so like i just said it's kind of trying to find those angles and those storytelling shots which are you can do everything in a single shot so it's a course with uh 10 modules and half of those modules are all about specific shot types so it's how to shoot a sunset a sunrise how to shoot a moving object how to shoot a building with cinematic angles and looking at all the differences between what camera settings you can use and what drone movement will help make that shot cinematic so it's it's been a really interesting process for for me to kind of uncover that knowledge, which I've kind of accumulated over the last few years, but actually not really thought about because I've been out doing it. So I've been trying to educate Misha and trying to use her as a test dummy pilot to educate her on these shots and see how she fares. And it's been a really interesting reaction trying to think about how to communicate that thought process and that learning process and what you need to do with the, with the joysticks, because it's, for me, it's just a kind of natural extension of, I need to move that way. I don't think about it. I just do it. Uh, yeah. How, how do you go back? Do you kind of go backwards step by step from, you know, the end result and think, or do you go from a beginner perspective? We, we went from the, the course module starts with module one being how to set up uh, the plans for a flight. So it's a lot to do with kind of researching the location, thinking about the safety parameters, making sure you've got permission and then running through some very basic stuff like spatial awareness and actually knowing how close you can fly to stuff, but making sure you're looking at the drone rather than actually looking at the camera view because they're two very different perspectives. So you'll have a lot better judgment looking at the drone in the air and seeing how close you can fly to something rather than actually looking at the camera. So in the same way, that the same perspective you get from a GoPro, you can put a GoPro really near something, but it will actually feel very different once you look, watch the footage back. And then it progresses through... Um, half the modules are how to how to do certain shots and then the later part of the stage is more kind of uh how to make the footage look more cinematic with editing so a couple of little simple tips like color grading the difference between the different file formats and codecs you have and um, picture profiles so looking at more slightly more technical later on i don't want to say beginner it's not a beginner course but it's kind of trying to educate people about how to shoot more cinematic content if they've got a drone and they want to kind of achieve those type of shots that they've always wanted to but never quite sure how to do them what's your advice for um, an entry-level uh, camera person who maybe has thought oh drones they're they're brilliant but i just couldn't fly one well, the thing is, we know a lot of camera operators who've bought drones and have had them in their cupboard or they've shelved them for a long amount of time because they never really think about how they want to shoot stuff or what they want to shoot. And it, I suppose from our perspective, it's it's trying to think about one single subject and not trying to overcomplicate the process. So if you find a location that you know is going to look good in a sunset or a sunrise, 
don't overcomplicate the process by trying to think I need to shoot this three different or four different ways. Find one shot which tells a story and fly past a tree or over a hill, like you say, reveal a sunrise, reveal a sunset, fly around a group of people, but just don't overcomplicate the process. Try and find an easy way to make one shot look really good and just keep repeating that process until you perfect it. Sounds perfect. Uh, I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) So, Tom, we've just come out of lockdown in the UK uh, at the time of recording. How's the time in lockdown been for you um, creatively? Obviously, you've used, as you said, you've you, you know you've done quite a lot of personal filming. Um, how's it been for kind of client work? And also, have there been any kind of standout projects in the last sort of six months that um, you wanted to mention? Yeah, it's been a it's been a really interesting one because. Just before lockdown, I did my first episode for Countryfile. So I just started work for Countryfile. And then lockdown happened, so that all standed to a halt, which was a, a real shame. But I'm hoping to get back into that. Um, lockdown itself has been a a bit of an interesting one because all of the projects we had planned, we had three trips abroad, we had all sorts of projects which we had planned, all ground to a complete halt. So it was kind of a massive standstill in terms of production but we had been working so hard just before lockdown that we had a massive backlog of edits that we needed to finish in order to maintain client work and one of those was really interesting working with a brand a local brand to us in Shropshire called Ludlow Gin and um, we had been working with uh, the, the founder of the gin company for a few months previously and then talking about how to launch his new brand identity based on his personality so we convinced him that he needed to be the forefront of the campaign he needed to be the forefront of the personality of the brand which he had never been before and so we we did a massive shoot which had a cast and crew of about 40 people in a tiny hotel bar where he walks into an empty bar slams a bottle of gin on the table and then the whole room erupts into a massive carnival party of people all dressed in elaborate outfits which went down amazingly well um but as soon as that was released which was on the 3rd of March then lockdown happened so his sales ground to a complete halt in terms of supplying bars and restaurants and hotels and so we discussed to him actually is there a way that he can still maintain a connection with his audience and is there a way that he can actually maintain his sales process outside of working with bars so he decided and we decided with him that actually he should be selling uh, his gin online direct to customers and he began doing a kind of locally based 30 mile radius delivery service and his sales went through the roof because he was actually able to connect to customers and all through the content we produced we produced i think around something in the region of about 30 films which were cocktail recipes which he released every single week through lockdown and so he was he was able to maintain that connection with an audience and sort of still stay relevant and so that's been you know his his business is transformed because of lockdown in a positive way and that's been a really interesting process for us to think about how video can have a huge impact on a business, even in hard times. That's really interesting, actually. Uh, 30 films, so in the last three months, and they've been pushed out over the last three months. Was that a day shooting? How how long did that take? It was about, I think, four or five days shoot in total. We did the, the hotel shoot took two days, uh, which was a hotel in Hereford, which was just before lockdown. And then we had a day in his distillery and we had uh, two days in a studio setting making cocktails. So we kind of churned through, you know, 30 or so cocktail films in over two days. And unfortunately, we had to sample all of the cocktails, which meant the filming at the end of the day was a bit tricky. But it was good fun doing it. I love the idea of like 
bespoke gin delivery because uh, obviously in lockdown, that's probably one of the essentials that people needed along with toilet paper, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. A good supply of booze and a good supply of toilet roll. Just talking about kind of location of your business and, you know, obviously it's, it's a great place uh, to live by the sounds of it. How does that work with um, with kind of clients and business in general? It's been, I mean, living in Shropshire has always for us been a, a love-hate relationship in terms of professionalism because we've always had to have a level of confidence in our own work that we can compete with businesses or filmmakers in cities such as London or Birmingham or Manchester or any other cities around the country. But we've always maintained the fact that we we are going to stay rural. We're not going to be sucked into kind of moving to a city again because it just it's a whole change of lifestyle that we don't want to have to face again so we do a lot of freelancing for other agencies like the bbc and other agencies around the country but that's just essentially me going out and shooting for them on a daily basis so it's not actually our company working for them it's just me going out working for them but i think as a business it's it's always been a a difficult question that we've had to ask ourselves is do we compare in the right way are we recognizable as a as a company that produces content that is has a reputable style. And I think that's something that's it's taken a long time for us to adjust to that kind of understanding that we have a brand, we have a reputable style, we have a series of content that should be recognized as luxury and actually worth what we charge for our work. And I think that's something that's it's taken us a long time to, to kind of get to that point. Well, I, d- I definitely think that comes across in your work, the quality um, and you know the cinematic, just the beauty of it. Um, is there a formula for a successful business? This is this is our business of video mini round of questions. Um, is there a formula? That's a really good question. I think for us, it's been a really long process of um, turning a passion into a business. And I think the only advice I can give to people who are in that position is separate the two very quickly as early as you can try and separate your personal passion from a business perspective and look at all the business administration you have to do for the company very separately than the way you operate your creative process because that's something that we have had to do over the last several years and we've always made a conscious choice of never having an office or a studio because we need the flexibility of working with home with two young kids and everything that offers and being able to choose our days of work and not having to be um, restricted to working nine to five in a studio or office environment. And I think the benefit that comes from having an office is that you can separate your life from your business, but being able to do it when you choose to do it, I think is a much better situation, but you do have to make sure that you know where your guidelines are in terms of your boundaries of when you spend time with your family and when you spend time operating the business and how you move the business forward and how you actually change the the future of the business. And I think that all comes down to knowing where you're, where you want to be going with the business and understanding that goals and setting targets for your business is re- as important as the creative process. Uh, really relevant as well in this, in this time. How do you think the landscape, the business landscape is going to change after all this? I think there's going to be a lot of big organizations that understand now that people can operate from home and it doesn't have to be, everyone has to be in an office environment. I think there's been a massive shift in people working from home and doing Zoom calls or Skype calls and operating from a remote environment. And the fact that you don't have to have that physical entity anymore. People can operate 
from a distance. People can still be creative from a distance, but it's just about trying to find out how that works for teams. And if you have a big team, if you have a big company, can you still have that connection? Can you still have that collaboration that you would have in an environment of an office, but can you do it remotely? I was going to say, have you yourself, um, have you done any remote shoots or um, have you have you done any socially distanced shoots yet? We've turned our home into a studio or turned our kitchen into a studio to film for Ludlow Gin. So we actually did a collaboration with Ludlow Gin and uh, a coffee roasters in Bristol who um, they created a coffee liqueur. So we, we created a whole campaign which was entirely shot in our kitchen doing lots of close-up macros of like coffee beans dropping onto a lovely piece of oak and then a, a, um, an espresso martini being made full of, you know, these lovely close-ups of the, the drink being made. So it's it's been quite interesting to think of how much we can actually achieve in our own house and how that actually still makes it feel like a, a luxury brand promo. Uh, I think I saw the making of. <laughs> yeah. Did I see that somewhere? Yeah, there was cats jumping all over the table and That's all sorts right, of yeah. weird stuff going on. Yeah, look looked good. So you're, uh, as a family business, does that come with its own challenges? I mean, obviously, like you say, you've got two, two young kids. Yeah, they're 12 and... Semi-young. 12 and 8, so they're, they're getting on a bit, but they're just on the cusp of being able to take care of themselves now, so it's kind of interesting. But yeah, I mean, with, with, every, fam- with every family during lockdown, it's been really difficult to, to juggle work and family life and home education and everything in between. Um, but I think it's just everyone adapts their own way and I think everyone finds their own way of being able to do work when they can and work with their kids when they can and find a a nice balance so for us we've been getting up at 6am every day doing a couple of hours work and then been quite regimental about doing a bit of exercise at 8 in the morning making sure I'm keeping healthy and then knuckling down doing a bit of work with the kids from morning till lunch and then saying right you guys clear off we're going to do our work from lunch till the afternoon and at least everyone then has their own structure and schedule and it feels like that's that's the format that's worked for us really well and hopefully everyone's found their own path of making things work interestingly because you shoot for the bbc what's what is your uh setup for that and and what shows have you you know what shows do you generally shoot for sure sure um so for the bbc i've for the last couple of years i've done the last two series of antiques roadshow on sunday night which has been really amazing running around the country meeting all these amazing people and these huge events they put on i I also just started working with country file which was the first episode I did was the week before lockdown started and I haven't had anything since then because they've been doing everything locally to their presenters. All the commercial stuff we do with drones is on our Inspire 2, which can shoot up to 5.9K raw, which is the image quality is absolutely incredible. And it really is nice. And then a lot of the stuff we do, which is either personal stuff or kind of quick and easy, we just use our Mavic 2 Pro, which is just, you know, you can sling it in a backpack and climb a hill relatively easily and go and shoot it. So it makes it a lot more easy to manoeuvre rather than lugging around this massive case with the Inspire in it. Cool. Um, okay, so moving on to our scrub forward round. This <laughs> is um, a quick fire round. And if you don't want to answer, say scrub. <laughs> okay, so video nasty. What's the worst habit you see people practice in drone filming? The worst thing I think people do is to move quickly in the middle of a shot. So all the shots that we try and do are one smooth movement. And I think a shot is always ruined by the middle of a move, the camera suddenly moves to the side or it jerks up and down or it kind of moves left to right. So whenever we try and 
think about a shot it's always one fluid motion from start to finish so it's either forwards and backwards or up and down or a combination of those things but we tend to never move more than one axis at the same time and i think that always kind of if you go forwards and then up it seal it feels like two shots rather than one and i think they should be separated and i think that's a big mistake for most drone operators is not cutting out the bits that look the best and trying to post something that is lots of movement in one shot i, I was just wondering did you play computer games? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Goldeneye. When you were younger. Goldeneye is the exact help? same controls as, I remember Goldeneye, the N64 is the exact same controls as the drone. So the, le- the right-hand controller is most of the movement and the left-hand controller is where you look. And so that kind of, it's very intuitive as a, for a drone operator if you've come from a gaming background to be able to operate. And I think that's why a lot of um, first-person view pilots are adapting very quickly because they're so used to that kind of way of seeing the drone move around. You might find that there's an there's an influx of gamers moving into drone filming. Yeah. Um, so what's your competition? Okay. What techniques and software? Techniques in terms of camera work, I think something we've always used is camera movement. So even if you're using handheld cameras, moving left to right makes a shot feel more dynamic and makes it feel more fluid. So we've always used camera movement in every single type of shoot we do. It's, we very rarely shoot a static shot unless it's an interview. But even if it Sometimes an interview feels better if you can put it on a slider or something that is a you know a gimbal where you can have a bit of movement feels more interesting. We use Final Cut Pro mostly to edit because I find it so intuitive and so quick that we can churn out edits really fast. And sometimes we have massive shoots like we work with uh, Hay Festival every year, and during the process of that eleven days of the events, we go out and we film sort of 10 to 15 interviews a day and you have to turn those around really quickly so you have to edit them and then put them out for their social team really quickly and i just find that final cut pro we can work with such a quick speed that it just means you can push stuff through much quicker than having to think about the longer process of color correction and kind of outputs and the stuff that some of the other packages such as premiere pro can offer but i just find that i think for the content we're doing for pushing it out to websites and social final cut pro is more than enough and it's a great workflow for us brilliant uh play pause stop one thing you always do one thing you sometimes do and one thing you should never do (laughs) um one thing we always do i guess is religiously every single time we go on a shoot whenever we come back whatever time of day is no matter how long we've been shooting i always take the footage off the cards make sure i've got it backed up because i'm really bad at kind of removing footage off cards so if I know that I've already got it off the cards, I know it's safe. And then I can format the card if I need to. But every time I put a card back in the camera, there's always going to be something on there from another shoot. And I instantly think, have I backed that up? Have I got that somewhere? Do I know where that is? I don't know where it is. And it's a nightmare because I just what I should do is copy it and then format the card to know I've got a clean card to work with. But I'm very bad at formatting cards. Um Another thing that Misha always tells me off for is not storing kit correctly. Our our office space in our home is just an absolute mountain of bits of cables and chargers and stuff, which is just dumped in there and not put away properly. So I have to admit, I'm terrible at organizing equipment when it's finished with a shoot and actually prepared for another shoot. But that's something I, I try and do a lot is whenever I'm preparing for a shoot, I'm, I'm literally regimental with writing a kit list, making sure I've got everything charged, all the batteries are numbered, knowing exactly what we need and making sure it's ready. So that that side of it I'm great at, but it's when it comes back in again I'm terrible at. I think you're probably talking to a lot of filmmakers there. <laughs> I can definitely relate, maybe 
of people are like that. <laughs> um, something we sometimes do but don't do enough is making sure that we've got backups of backups. So, for instance, when you come off a shoot, you take footage off a card, stick it on a hard drive. We tend to work on laptops with a lacy hard drive so we can just take it around the house, sit on the sofa in front of the TV and just churn away and edit. But we don't do it enough is making sure that those hard drives are backed up onto another system where you've got a library of content from the last few years. So only last year for the first time we invested in a Drobo system with I think 65 terabytes or something ludicrously massive Mm. amount of space. And um, we don't do that enough is making sure that we've got backups of all our working hard drives onto that system because every now and then like throughout the drone course I've been searching for a, a drone shot which i remembered from three or five years ago which i know was in wales or some beach somewhere and i know it should have been on that archive system but actually it's stuck on one hard drive that's on the shelf somewhere so i should have backed that up properly but i haven't done it enough is there a way that you track your backups no <laughs> if okay. i'm brutally honest there should be the way i the way i archive it is through the years so i have um on our drobo system i have a, a folder for every year so everything that's throughout that year just goes onto that sort of system but i don't do it enough so there's something that slips through the gap every time we've always uh, we always used to use trello for pro- project management originally before we moved to Basecamp. but um the the one thing that is the trello hangover is literally the hard drive uh logging and uh all that kind of stuff because it just feels like quite a natural way of finding things that was just in case anyone else is needs something, you know, Trello, obviously free, um, quite handy, just so that you can just look up whatever you've got on whatever hard drive. Yeah. Sure. Um, and one thing you should never do. I think one thing you should probably never do is clear a card without checking if you've got it backed up, because I've been in a situation where I've been out with a, a, a drone on a commercial ship with the BBC and I've I've been in the middle of an aerial shoot and the, the card is full up, so it stops recording. And I've had to wipe the card because I had no way of being able to check it because the drone's in the air and I had no choice but to wipe the card to be able to carry on recording. And then there was a project that was on the card which I had not backed up previously, so I lost that footage. So I think it's just about being regimental with that process of knowing exactly how much space you've got and making sure you know when you get to a shoot you've got more than enough space to be able to continue what you're doing. And obviously, you always learn from those hiccups, don't you? You never repeat them. So Yeah, you do them once um, and never again. <laughs> yeah. Best tools and tips for productivity, work-life balance, motivation, that kind of thing. Something you can't live without. I think the simplest thing for us in terms of productivity is pen on paper. It's literally writing down, scheduling your day from us at six in the morning until five or six in the evening of thinking about what sort of things you need to do throughout the day. So whether it's for us getting up at 6am, spending a couple hours on LinkedIn, engaging with people, posting some content, doing a bit of exercise, working with the kids or doing something that you know you have an allocated block of time to do and actually having nothing that disturbs that time. So for us, it's been a really difficult thing to to try and have one thing and one thing alone to do for two hours because you'll end up having one of the kids come and ask you for lunch or something you have to get disturbed for and then it takes you 20 minutes half an hour to get back into that process again so for us the biggest most simplest thing is literally writing down your plan for the day for the week down to the hour of knowing what you want to do and trying to stick to that and not get disturbed by it can you give us one secret shooting tip i mean it depends on the shoot but i think one thing that we've always had a uh, a stigma for it is actually that the equipment you use doesn't matter 
it's not about what tools you use, it's about the result of the footage and how it looks. And I think that's something which a lot of mirrorless camera operators and DSLR operators have always felt that kind of stigma of the fact that it's not a cinema camera, it's not a broadcast camera, it's not something that looks cinematic, but actually it's more down to the image quality that you end up with. And actually if you're giving somebody something that hits the nail on the head in terms of what they wanted, it doesn't matter how you got there. Well, it brings me on to what's next for brands and video. What are the benefits of somebody spending a huge amount on a big production versus spending a manageable amount on a much smaller, more agile production? I'm a, I think almost that answers its own question, but what's your opinion? Um, I think there's always a place for using big expensive equipment and cinema cameras and we're lining up a quote using a phantom flex which can shoot at ludicrous frame rates so it would be really fun to be able to use that technology but at the same time you don't have to do that and i think hopefully what this kind of financial crisis and this lockdown procedure has taught a lot of companies is that they don't necessarily have to spend enormous amounts of money to get the results they want because it comes down to if you're shooting something at 3000 frames a second versus 120 frames a second is the end consumer really going to care do they really mind what that looks like are they still going to get the same results from the message of the video rather than actually how slow it looks it's not about necessarily using the the most expensive technology but it's about kind of giving the client what they want in the the best sense and trying to trying to produce something that you're proud of and that they're proud of so what's next for you and you know your kind of vision of the of your future and your ultimate goals? Um it's been interesting for us during lockdown because just before lockdown we had a our kind of annual discussion about where our business lead. We do this every Christmas, every kind of winter we think about where we're going to be going in the next year and what we want to be doing and how we want to be growing as a business. And the the sectors that we wanted to target and have worked in and want to work in more is tourism and food and drink because those are two industries that we've we found the most um, satisfaction from working from in the past year and we think those are the biggest boom industries going forward for the next 12 months so i think in the, especially in the next six months there's going to be a massive boom in tourism there's going to be a huge boom in hospitality and food and drink and i think those sectors are going to be the biggest things to grow out of lockdown so if we can provide services to those sectors in the next six months then that's going to, going to grow our business and help us kind of solidify those processes moving forward cool and obviously the the course will be uh hopefully a nice kind of source of income on the side yeah i mean the drone course is it's been a really interesting learning curve for us because i hope it sells well and i hope it, it speaks to the right kind of audience in terms of the, the way we've taught the, the kind of content of the modules but i think there's lots of different extensions we can do to that we'd, we'd like to do another whole course on inspired to filmmaking and actually look at professional level and actually helping filmmakers think about if they are making the jump from phantoms or the mavic range to an inspire or an inspire 2 they're going to be investing another five grand on a, a piece of kit rather than actually a grand and so is there anything that we can help them think about and are there is there a market for actually a much more specific technical cinematic filmmaking course for drone operators or you know any small micro kind of courses that we can offer well i mean obviously they can contact you on linkedin right to ask you questions and I, I noticed that recently you have been putting out kind of more kind of interactive questioning um uh, videos yeah so is that something that you would like from people you know if they have got 
kind of things that they need to learn. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something which we, in terms of LinkedIn content, we've always had the best reaction from audiences, which tends to be other filmmakers about the drone footage we put out. So you've either got recognition of stuff which which has worked really well and people talk about how nice it is, but it's been interesting actually recently to to ask questions, to to talk about is there is there tips we can give people? Is there processes that we have found difficult that other filmmakers may have found a solution for and actually using LinkedIn as a, an engagement process and actually trying to find solutions to problems. And is that a better process for using the platform actually than just saying, here's a bunch of work. Brilliant. Um, so how do people connect with you if they want to do that? Uh, they can either email me straight away at tom at smnfilm.com or connect through LinkedIn. I'm more than happy to talk to people. I love I love talking to people on LinkedIn because I think it's a great platform for engagement. So feel free to leave a comment or contact me on LinkedIn or give me an email. Cool. Or uh, your Instagram is smnfilm. It's just smnfilm, yeah. At, at smnfilm is our Instagram handle, yeah. Cool. Um, tom, thanks so much. Uh, for joining me on the podcast. It's been brilliant to see you and talk to you and look at the beautiful background. (laughs) It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. We'll catch up with you when the drone course is live and see what your next chapter is. Cheers. Take it easy. Cool. Nice one. Thanks so much to Tom Middleton. He really knows what he's talking about when it comes to cinematography, drone filming, all of that stuff. I really hope you check out his course Um, As I said at the beginning, we'll have a link via videotalks.co forward slash drones and you can check out all the show notes to this episode and everything mentioned, all the the gear, all the software and um, any links that he mentions and videos and stuff will be on the show notes and that is at videotalks.co forward slash 12. So um, yeah, thanks for joining me for this episode. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and we can keep these episodes coming in. We've got some great stuff coming up, including uh, we've got a giveaway that is coming up. So if you are still here, then thanks for staying. And the giveaway is to do with one of our guests coming up. So keep an eye on social. You can check Instagram at Video Talks Podcast or Facebook uh, facebook.com video talks podcast funnily enough and you can connect with me on instagram andy.greenhouse so yeah please give us a shout if you want a shout out and we'll sort that out for the the one minute creator pitch in the middle of the the episode so thanks for listening again and i'll see you on the next one cheers cheers